0: Hi, this is John Anderson of the Minnesota Neurotraining Institute. You are listening to the NeuroNoodle Network podcast.
1: Thank you all for joining NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology podcast featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Janssens and Dr. Skip Wren. They've been practicing for over 50 years and are happy to share their knowledge with you. You can find Dr. Laura at Jansons.com, that's J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com, and Dr. Skip can be found at Dr. skiprin.com. that's DrSkip, H-R-I-N.com. My name is Pete, and today we are joined with special guest, John Anderson of the Minnesota Neurotraining Institute. John, thank you for coming on board today. Well,
0: thank you for having me, Pete.
1: You also work with Fred Schaffer. You want to go through that whole background there? Because I'm going to screw it up.
0: Well, I work with Fred Schaefer and uh, the BioSource software. He produces uh, educational materials, testing programs, and, and uh, self-training programs. And I've been working with him for about 13 years, developing some neurofeedback and QEG materials.
1: Because, let's see, for
0: the people who don't
1: know, I mean, if you want to get trained up on biofeedback and neurofeedback, I mean, John Anderson is the man. I've been through his class twice, and I still have to go back three or four more times to figure out what I heard the first two times.
0: Now, well, I have to tell you the truth, Pete. When I first started in neurofeedback, I started in biofeedback in 1974. But when I started getting into neurofeedback in the early 90s, I took a class like mine five times in the first two years because it took me that long to figure it out. Oh, it's, wow! Uh, it's a complicated uh, field.
1: No I I believe it. I mean it's it's a fascinating one. It's, it for me it's just so cool to be able to get objective data on what's going on above the neck to figure out if you're getting better or not. You know, I I'm, I'm the layman of the of the group here and you know we got a bunch of new listeners out there, moms and dads, new practitioners, you know asking questions like, you know, what equipment should I get? So we had uh, Steve Stern from Sten's Corporation, say that three times fast. Part of the training program, we have you, John. How long have you been with Steve over at uh, Sten's Corporation?
0: Well, I've taught my first class for Steve in 1999, and he doesn't really remember that. (laughs) And I didn't remind him of it because it was a real disaster. Uh, I started teaching for him more formally in 2000. So I taught for him for 20 years, 21 years now. It's been an interesting ride with Steve. He's a he's an interesting character. Oh yeah. How
1: how many of these trainings? I know COVID screwed things up, but generally pre-COVID, like how many trainings would you do a year?
0: You were all over the place. I think at the at the height of our our uh work, we were doing 14 classes a year. Oh wow. Yeah, it was pretty busy for a while there. Uh, We certainly wound down when COVID hit, of course, and we've been doing online classes, which was actually, I think is a better approach to do a fair amount online and then some in-person stuff after that.
1: Well, you definitely got to get the hands-on with the gels and all that stuff, unless you get the dry.
0: If you don't have Uh, the hands-on equipment experience, you just are kind of lost. So uh, the didactic learning is good, the, you know, classroom stuff, but Uh, You got to actually hook people up and see what happens in the brain to make sense of it.
1: I mean, it's quite the production. I mean, you're bringing, uh, how many amplifiers that are being shipped to you? You got to set up all the machines. What's the biggest class you ever had to do? I had
0: 36 people in a class one time. And that doesn't seem like a lot if you or have been in a intro to chemistry in a big university with 500 people watching TV monitors, but uh, for everybody to have a chance to sit at a station and work with the equipment. Uh, that was a pretty packed house.
1: Well, plus everybody's raising their hands cause they can't get the sensors going. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I know one of my hands where it was up or both of them. Uh, how, how did you meet Steve? how did you get started with him? You started in Well, you know, it was an interesting
0: story. I started with, um, uh, being a customer, you know, I, I, I called him up one day and I said, hey, I have this uh, system that I'd like to sell. And and I talked to this other guy and he said he'd give me this X much for the trade-in and then he'd uh, sell me a new system for this much. And Steve said, hey, I don't want your old system, but that's the price of a new system anyway. And so the other guy was just uh, shining you on a bit. You know, I thought, well, an honest guy, you know, he tells me like it is and, and I appreciate that. And so I bought the system from him and and he and I have been uh, uh, working together ever since. That was in the middle 90s that I bought my first system from him.
1: Yeah, it's hard to have a conversation with Steve without taking out your credit card. It's rough. <laughs> he, he's, he's good. I love it. Two sales guys uh, talking, me and Steve. John, what are you doing now? Are you doing more online stuff now with COVID? Uh, what's, I, you're used to doing you know, 14 uh, classes a year. Now with COVID, what, what have you been up to?
0: I'm doing a lot of online uh, mentoring, working on educational materials. And of course we put together the online course at the beginning of COVID, Uh, Mary Tracy and I uh, through Stens and put that online. And uh, that's been going pretty well. People are very interested in doing online education while they're locked down. And it's a great opportunity for people to do that. Uh, I don't have a practice anymore. I closed my office. Uh, because of COVID, and so mostly I'm just teaching and mentoring.
1: Isn't it a catch-22 with a good uh, practitioner? Because uh, eventually you're going to run out of people because he healed them all? or feels <laughs> <not really? laughs>
0: It depends on where you live. Uh, right. What I've seen is that people that get into this field eventually just get swamped, completely swamped with clients. They uh, start opening new locations and buying new equipment and hiring new staff. And it just ends up exploding.
1: Now there are a lot of
0: people who need this kind of work. If somebody wants to get trained, could you explain the process
1: over at Stens? Because you have Mary, Tracy, you have yourself. What are the different courses that somebody new to the field? uh, How could they get introduced at Stens with with the training program that you guys have? What would be a recommended course of action?
0: Well Steve started out with uh, Philip Hughes who prefers to be called Tony and he teaches the biofeedback courses to this day. He's been teaching for got to be close to 30 years now and he's just an amazing instructor. I learned so much from him when I first started out with Stens. Uh if my classes are at all good in any way it's all because of what I learned from Tony. I teach the neurofeedback class. And Mary Tracy also teaches the neurofeedback class. And then she's developing an online QEEG class, quantitative EEG class, uh, even as we speak. And that should be out sometime uh, this spring.
1: Let's just say you have the, uh, the equipment and you do the scans. Are you still evaluating the QEEGs? Do you still have that part of the business out there?
0: Yes, I still do that.
1: Okay, got it.
0: Yeah, and then, people send me their recordings. I look at the recordings and write them a report.
1: Uh, Dr. Laura, how did you get introduced to uh, John Anderson?
2: Uh, well, I was talking, uh, we were talking to uh, Steve Stern about this, that, and he had, it was funny when we interviewed uh, Steve Stern, um, I was trying to think, I'm like, you know, I took the biofeedback class back, back, and I couldn't remember. And he said, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> He looked it up and he had it. He was all ready to tell me when I took my first class with him. Uh, so I took biofeedback in 2001. And to be honest, I'm sure I should have asked uh, Steve. I don't, I don't recall the uh, instructor at the time, but um, I, I did go back for, uh, to Sten's for um, neurofeedback uh, uh, education. And, and yeah, John was the wealth of knowledge. I saw his course in Atlanta, and I believe it was four years ago. So met him at, at the course there and I've taken it once and I could probably take it 30 more times and still feel like a beginner. The, you know, the, the, there, there's so much to it. And I, I think that's my, you know, kind of general question or general comment to uh, John is how long does it take to feel like you know what you're doing?
0: I guess I have to say that this is a lifelong learning process and I still learn something every day. And every time I read a paper or a study or a book, a new book out. I'm reading a book by Nunez and Srinivasan right now, uh, The Electrical Fields of the Brain, uh, The Neurophysics of EEG. And it's fascinating. And it's just mind boggling the amount of information we're getting about the brain and neurophysiology and neuropsychology. And so it's exciting. Uh, to me, it's exciting. And I never feel like I've finished learning. And I never feel like I've got complete confidence in what I'm doing. And I always feel like there's more to learn. So uh, that's the nice thing about this field as far as I'm concerned. I, I did some talk therapy back years ago and it was kind of you know, same old, same old every day. And you know, the, the clients were different and I did my best to help them. But this gives me a tool that I can be creative with and learn new things about and apply in different ways. And uh, it's just such an exciting field that I think that people getting into the field see a progression rather than ever ending up at a place where they feel confident. They just keep adding in more skills and adding more skills and getting better and better at it. And yet still feeling like there's more to learn.
2: It's pretty endless. That, that's for sure. Right now you're doing, well, it's pandemic. So a lot of people are, are doing at home and online kind kinds of things. Speaking of pandemic, I guess, is what do you think, COVID, going to kind of really run off on a tangent here, but, you know, stretching from, we're talking about pandemic and working from home to what do you think uh, COVID is going to do to the electrical activity in the brain?
0: That's a really good question. And I'm sure there are going to be studies about it. I hope there'll be some QEEG studies about it uh, because, you know, people talk about the brain fog that comes post COVID in some individuals and You know, some people who have uh, an enhanced inflammatory response, that certainly affects the brain as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's going to cause at least temporary issues with how the brain communicates with itself. Mm -hmm. I hope that neurofeedback can help resolve that as well. Yeah.
2: So you get the biological issue of the inflammation. And then, you know, know, the, the psychotherapist in me is also curious about the environmental effects to the brain. You know, the the shutdown, the lockdown, the kids not developing because they're, you know, behind a, uh, learning from a screen and, and isolated from their social, you know, development stuff. Uh, kind of curious how that's all going to play out too, right?
0: I wouldn't want to be a parent right now of a young child. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of things that we can do to help uh, facilitate that. Parents, educators, uh, clinicians, but certainly uh, the thing about neurofeedback and neuro training in general is that it's, uh, it's training. It's not a treatment. It's not an input. It's a way of teaching the brain to do something that it's not having a good time doing right now. And we can help it learn how to function more appropriately. So we can help it move through those developmental stages and we can help it move through uh, some of the blockages and, and issues that have uh, resulted from this extended lockdown I think these kids have the opportunity uh to really progress from this lockdown and and I think we'll learn a lot about child development and human development in general as a result of that. John, didn't you uh
1: teach yourself like hands on with yourself neurofeedback? Steve was telling a story. Is that true?
0: <laughs> well, every time I learn a new protocol or anytime I come up with a new idea, I always test it out on myself. I usually tell my classes that that's why I'm so strange. <laughs> you eat your I, own dog food exactly uh, i th- you know I think it's really important for practitioners to to feel what it feels like to do the training so that they can then explain it to their clients and again it's it's training it's exercise. It's like going to the gym for your brain. I'm learning new skills in my brain i'm I'm teaching my brain to be calm and relaxed or focused and attentive or. To be able to transition to sleep, to be able to wake up easily when I want to, I think those are things that are important to learn, and and I've had a lot of fun training myself to do those things.
1: Doctor Skip, how did you? Uh, what, what was your first experience like uh, with John's class?
3: I think um, the short answer is similar to both of yours in that it was a hell of a lot of information. It, it at, at the time just kind of treading water to comprehend what I was being exposed to. So there's that. Uh, and then, you know, you get a week, a week away from it to kind of contemplate what, what just happened. Certainly not to be discouraging to anybody out there that's thinking about getting into the field or anybody that's just can, you know, can be concerned with progressing is it's not a one, two, three thing. It's not something you just go in and do a five day course and you, and you got it and you, and you move forward. It, it's kind of as, as it's built, it's an introduction, but it's, it's so broad in its applications. And what I mean is, and by the way, I, I went in 2017 in November, as, as you were saying, Laura, Steve was able to point out, because he had my secret file ready when he was on our podcast and everything I've bought since. Right. So he knows, he knows where we are. Uh, he's probably listening right now. Right. But in, in, I guess, 2016, we, we started being exposed and interested through the neuropsych practice about this thing called neurofeedback we were familiar with biofeedback and then learning about neurofeedback there wasn't much of it up where we live in alaska there, there's a couple providers for sure um and so decided to take the course Talked to steve met john and that was that was enough to get the bug for sure but as i was kind of saying a minute ago in the class you're you're just kind of it, it kind of evolves and you're like this is a lot of stuff and and the potential is mind-boggling on, on where you can go with it but back to I guess my my original point it's not something that you just go and do in five days and you're like okay I'm gonna go set up shop and I'm good to go I, again there's information about the software there's information about the neurofeedback in general then there's brain uh, anatomy and, and functioning and, and there's a lot of moving parts that I appreciate your answer, John, because it's encouraging in that you're always a student. And I, I agree in, in this manner in that uh, you know technological advances are always allowing us to see stuff uh, that we couldn't see yesterday, right? And, and studies are coming out telling us things that, again, we just weren't aware of. That expands the application of neurofeedback, among other things. But again, it's a, a process and a progress. Um, it, I mentioned this when we had Mike uh, Cohen on, and it feels more like an art than a science, And I guess what I really mean is if you know a bunch of stuff, it allows you to kind of tether yourself out and maybe, you know, play a little bit, certainly at nobody's expense. I don't mean it in that way. But it's, it's, again, it doesn't have these criteria. Uh, we seem to pick on, I seem to pick on accountants a lot because it just seems really definitive in, in how you do that kind of work. But it's not like that. It, it's loose. And so, again, that's, that's me answering how I got exposed to it, but just more my experience with what neurofeedback is. And and it's a lot of, a lot of stuff. And again, it's vast. Um, I did have a question for you. You, you kind of spurred it, but you were talking about just the inflammation, uh, the inflammatory impact of the brain uh, through COVID. And I've been reading some things recently that weren't necessarily supportive of neurofeedback, I don't necessarily agree, uh, but weren't necessarily supportive of neurofeedback for doing anything about the inflammation. And so my question, I guess, kind of a general question, but yeah, it's COVID based. Are you aware of anything that, you know, training wise, you'd go after for inflammation? Like, are there areas of the brain that you could, uh, you know, train down, train up that might deal with inflammation? So maybe an indirect inflammation training is that a clear enough question john sure
0: the thing about i mean we've talked about this already the thing about neurofeedback and quantitative eeg and all of that is that it is a training process rather than a treatment and so it's really just um, helping elicit the brain's own ability to function and correct itself working with and so when we give the person information about how their brain is functioning and it's not functioning correctly Uh, and we ask it to move in a direction that's more appropriate for that brain, uh, that's more typical, uh, then it has to figure out how to do that. And so as far as I'm concerned, uh, what the brain does is it says, okay, you know, you want me to do this? Okay, I'm going to try and do this, and then I will use whatever mechanisms I have at my disposal to do that. So it corrects the inflammation itself because we're giving it information about where we want it to go. And to go there, it has to correct that inflammation. An example of this is uh, something more simple when we're working with a, a hyperactive kid. If we were to tell that hyperactive kid to sit still, uh, they would either say, I can't, or they tell us to go jump in a lake somewhere. But we give them feedback for a particular EEG frequency that's associated with decreased Motor output from the motor cortex. So the motor cortex is saying, okay, uh, you know, I want to keep busy. I've got all this energy. I want to discharge all this energy. I want to, you know, move around and be busy and get up out of my chair and poke my neighbor and do all this stuff. And we say, okay, we're going to say, if you want that game to play on the computer screen, uh, you have to produce more of this EEG frequency. We don't tell them that they have to sit still to make that happen, but they learn very quickly. That if they sit still, the voltage of that EEG frequency increases, the game plays more easily, and they get rewarded for that behavior change. And so they learn how to do that kind of from the back door. And then after a while, we say, say, do you notice that you're sitting still? And they say, yeah, so what? (laughs) Right, what's your point? Uh, So with inflammation, I think it's a very similar process as with pretty much any uh, recovery from traumatic brain injury or stroke or anything else. We're not fixing the brain. We're just saying, this is how you should look. Let's see if you can get closer to that. And we reward any approximation that moves in that direction. Even the smallest, slightest, tiniest movement in that direction, we reward that. And then as they get better at it, we make it more challenging for them to get that same reward. And they have to do it better and they have to do it more completely. And then we give them the same reward for better behavior, let's say. And so that's the process of education. They try, they trial and error. They, they sometimes get it, sometimes don't. When they get it, the brain says, oh, that's, that feels good. That feels right. And uh, we give them a reward for that. We let the the game play or the movie plays, or they get some points, or the bar goes up on the screen, or something happens. And that feedback, that information flow, uh, teaches the brain how
3: to function appropriately. And is it is it fair to summarize that the brain figures it out? Yes, exactly. Figures it out, and that um, I have that conversation with you know parents and and you know adults that are getting training. And they don't get it, and 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 that's fine um, because I don't think you know we're we're told or taught that that's how stuff works, right? And so, what do you mean, my brain figures it out? What do I need to do? It's that idea of you know through experience. I think with people that are in training, certainly open this up to your experience, John, and yours to Laura and Pete. Over time, people kind of get that confusing uh, statement, right? Your brain figures it out, and after a few sessions. I think people understand that, right? Experientially, they're like, okay, um, I'm separating from my consciousness and unconsciousness, but yeah, my brain seems to be getting something because uh, the movie's playing longer. And then I go home and I'm thinking clearer or I'm not as anxious or I'm able to not say the thing that uh, would not be a good thing to say, whatever it might be. Uh, but again, it's through experience, so.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, they want to try. They want to say, what what should I do? How, how should I try to, to make this work? And you got to say, your brain is getting the information it needs. Sit back and observe and be interested in the process and your brain will figure it out. And they say, oh, that can't work. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's so contrary to everything we're kind of taught about, you know, geez, everybody on this podcast has been to school for a thousand years. But, you know, you go and you work and you do this, do that. And then here's this thing of, nope, you just gotta kind of sit there and your brain will, will get it your brain will get it and then get better.
0: I always say that, you know, we're working on non-cognitive structures here. We're working on the control mechanisms that make the brain work the way that it does. Mm -hmm. And we're not working on the thinking, reasoning, problem solving directly. We're working on the
3: mechanisms that make thinking, reasoning, and problem-solving work. In in your practice, and I know you you have it, do you have it on pause or are you planning on reopening it or is that not something you want to share?
0: I don't think I'm going to reopen my practice, although anything can happen. About a year ago, I told my wife I was going to retire and she said, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And clearly she was right, as she usually is, that uh, definitely I haven't retired and I'm actually busier than ever, so... I think it's just an evolution in what I'm doing.
1: I'm going to ask and answer my own question, guys. I'm, I'm just thinking of the new practitioners out there. You have psychologists out that are thinking about adding neurofeedback to their practice. How do you get started? Start with the biofeedback courses at Stens. Uh Get a hold of that alcohol. Thermometer. I really always tell
0: people to start with biofeedback. Okay. Uh, it's such a great grounding for anything else that you're going to do. And I think that biofeedback is a very important intervention anyway. There are people who just do neurofeedback, and I think that's a mistake. I think that uh, the field actually is of neurofeedback is moving towards incorporating more biofeedback components. For, For example, heart rate variability training has gotten to be very popular among neurofeedback practitioners, and I think that's excellent. So yeah, I would start with the biofeedback course. I would do the neurofeedback course. Uh, then I would do the quantitative EEG course. And all along the way, you'll need equipment. That's There's no way around it in this field. You got to have equipment and you can't do neurofeedback without an electronic box of some sort to interpret what's going on in the brain and show that information on the computer screen. And uh, so all of that display uh, needs to be done by well, go, electronic devices.
1: Well, if you go to the training, you provide all the equipment there. Yes, we do. To, just to get a, a quote-unquote hands-on feel of what you want to get into. So, so you do biofeedback, then neurofeedback, and generally the way Stuns has it laid out. So, Somebody knew that's going to start. And from what I remember, that was like a three-day course. And then there'll be a little break, and then you take the five-day course with Stens, uh for neurofeedback in
0: a two-week period. You can knock them both out, right? Uh, we've switched to a uh, so biofeedback is three days on, two days on-site, and three days online. Okay. And the neurofeedback is three days on-site and two days online. Hmm. When we get back to in-person classes after COVID, but right now. The neurofeedback class is all online. It's a 36-hour online course that has all of the components of the five-day class. And the biofeedback class is an in-person online course that Tony Hughes teaches. And so it's, you know, it's scheduled and you sign up and it's a Zoom meeting for a period of time every day and it's recorded so people who miss parts of it can uh, re-review it. And the QEG will be the same. In the past, we've done... Somewhere around five to seven days of QEEG because it's a lot of uh, it's a lot to learn. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll do going forward. The thing that we hear from everyone who takes the course is it's too much in too short of time. And the benefit of the online courses now is that they have the opportunity to learn at their own pace, and they can go through the material. They have I think it's uh, thirty days to go through the material, so they're not so overwhelmed in a four or five day class. Uh, if they miss something, they can re-review it. You know, when I'm teaching in class, uh, they can't pause the recording and and have me go back and say that same thing again, although they do raise their hand and ask questions and I do say the same thing in different words. Uh, but this way they can pause the video, they can go back, they what did he say? What was that? And he, they can go back and review it and they can look at previous things that I've said and oh that now okay that makes sense now and they can look at the reading materials and and uh, the other materials that we offer and they can correlate all of that in the leisure of their home or their office and it makes a huge difference in their uh, ability to grasp this information and then when COVID is over or under control uh, then we'll have at least a two-day hands-on class that they can come to and learn how to use the equipment.
2: Do you, do you think uh, this will ever become a college course? Because it seems like, yeah, you could take an entire semester to, you know, break down what you talk about in a week. Do, do you think that will ever happen?
0: It has happened. Uh, yeah, there's, okay. uh, the University of North Texas has a, a course. There's a, a course in uh, San Antonio, a college in San Antonio. There's uh, a biofeedback program that's been going on for a long time in uh, just north of San Francisco. I can't remember the college there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, why do Why do you think it's and This is you know the zillion dollar you know uh, going to loft a softball to you, but why Why isn't it uh, more prevalent? Why Why isn't it in more college programs?
0: I think it's a pretty steep learning curve.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I think it's uh, a blend. Of so many different fields. It's a blend of medicine, psychology, psychophysiology, uh, electronics, electroencephalography. To study one of those things is a, a master's program by itself. Mm-hmm. And here we have a, a, a field that incorporates every single one of those. I think that uh, the cross-platform, the cross-discipline communication has not gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. I think once uh, people in various disciplines say hey, I'm willing to talk to these other folks. Uh, I, I think they know something and, and are interesting to listen to. And let's put our heads together and and create a blend that mm-hmm. would result in a a psychophysiology degree mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. takes from all of these other disciplines. Let's do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it'll get there.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, as a practitioner or a wannabe, pra- you know, still learning, you know, say it that way, a uh, practitioner um, you know even at the educational level you know it it's still kind of in, in infancy as far as getting it more prevalent uh, you know and in, in developing programs like that that are more more extensive um so it, as a practitioner and you know I'm talking to the you know average joe the average mom Trying to explain what we're doing and how this is different than therapy or how this is different than medications, you know. So you're you're filtering all all the the jargon, you know, just conversational. And I'm curious, kind of, what's your approach with people, you know, as a practitioner? And you're not talking to a you know a student who's had a psychology degree, but you're talking to you know mom and grandma and the teachers and what's your approach to kind of explaining what neurofeedback is and, and how they, they could benefit different than medication or different than psychotherapy?
0: Well, I'm going to sound like a, a broken record, but I go back to the fact that it's training. Yeah. And they, they can understand that. And I say, this is not a treatment. This is not like taking a mm-hmm. stimulant medication for ADHD. This is to teach the brain to function the way it is supposed to f- function, mm-hmm. the way that would be optimal for this individual. Mm -hmm. and we're going to make your kid, we're going to help your kid learn how to do better, learn how to think better, learn how to focus better, learn how to attend better. And when I'm talking to the kid, let's say it's a a girl who's playing fast pitch softball in high school. I say, this is going to make your hitting better. You know, you're looking at those amazingly fast, fast pitch pitchers. Mm -hmm. Your processing speed is going to be faster and you're going to be able to process that ball coming at you and you're going to be able to hit that ball more effectively more often and they say wow that sounds like a good idea even though maybe coming in they thought ah this is a bunch of nonsense and who's this old guy I don't want to work with him but when you when you talk their language whatever their language is maybe they're a musician and you say you're going to be able to hear the music better you're going to be more creative you're going to be able to pick up Uh, new songs more quickly, you're going to be able to write your own songs more quickly, or maybe they're interested in science, and and then you go at it from the science perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the the cutting edge of science. Mm -hmm. Working with the brain is the cutting edge of science, and every other aspect of science is very cool and very worth studying. This is one of the most fascinating areas to study, how the human brain does what it does. I, I can't think of anything more fascinating.
2: Absolutely.
0: And when you introduce that idea to these parents and kids, but and I mostly am talking to the kids, really, uh, if you don't want to be here, it's not going to work is what I tell them. And and if you want to be here and, and there's some reason we can figure out that would be beneficial for you, then you're going to invest yourself in this process and you're going to learn these skills. The, the biggest uh, thing that sells this is that after the first few weeks, there's observable change in this kid, or this adult. Uh, as Skip was saying, I can sleep better. I'm not crabby with my wife anymore. Uh, I, you know, I, I start to say something to my boss and I think better of it. And I never used to do that. I never used to have that ability to inhibit my uh, uh, impulses. You know, I go to the store and I think I'm going to buy this, but then I don't. It's just a huge number of changes that happen in an observable way. And that sells people and they say, wow, this stuff
3: is really. If I could jump in there, there seems to also be a, a, an additive effect when once folks start experiencing the benefits and, and my words, but you know, then, then believing, Hey, this stuff really works. Then, then it seems to take off on, on even a steeper trajectory when, when, when they're there and and then consciously, you know, coming to the training sessions and going, Hey, I'm looking forward to it. This happened this week, or this happened last week and it wasn't so cool. Can we tweak it? And it's more participatory than, Hey, come on in and sit down. Young people and old. Right. So it seems to kind of span.
0: It's a little bit like working with a personal trainer and you say, you know, those exercises you gave me last week, you know, they didn't really work for my back. Uh, Can we try something different? Well, you know, the exercises you gave me last week uh, made me a little cranky and let's try something different this week. And, and so you do, and they come back and they say, yep, that, that did the trick. It's fine tuning the training for the client.
3: Well, after your answer, the previous answer, John, I'm ready to, you know, charge through the, the neurofeedback wall, right? I'm, I'm back in again. I'm, <laughs> you know, because it is, yeah. it's a fascinating field and the work is very rewarding and Etc. cetera. But I guess what I'm leading up to is my experience as a provider, uh, professional, whatever, um, you know, neurotechnician is you have the the three things you outlined and it kind of dovetails off you too, Laura, with just training in general, but you have biofeedback you know, training and then you have neurofeedback and let's get some QEEG training in there too. So you kind of know the piece that was invaluable to me, um, life saving. You know, professionally at least, was a, a mentorship too, and that's how I know you, John. In addition to the course, but that piece, man, and Laura too. And I just don't have your cell phone, Peter. I'd probably be calling you. But there's times that questions pop up that you're like, oh boy, um, you know, not oh boy, like it's it's in danger. But oh boy, I don't, I'm not sure just where to go with this. And and that piece again, as a professional has, has just been invaluable to just keep it, keep it going, right? There's lots of things that come up and it's helpful to have someone you can kind of go to that hopefully knows what they're talking about.
2: You know, what's coming in my mind and this is, you know, off the the path a little bit, but um, I I read some books a while ago, uh, when I was doing more strict psychotherapy, but I read some uh, books, textbooks on, um, Depression and mindfulness. We've talked in this podcast about mindfulness before, but I remember in the introduction of the mindfulness for depression, something like that. And I just looked up the author's uh, Teasdale and, and John Kabat-Zinn was uh, part of the introduction. Um, and what they said there, and it, it, uh, I think it's a great point is that, you know, you can teach mindfulness just as an example Um, You can can teach mindfulness from a textbook, but if you're not doing it yourself as a practitioner, and they had all sorts of research on this, that, yeah, they had a group of people who, uh, practitioners who practice mindfulness and taught it to their clients. And they had a group of practitioners uh, that did not practice mindfulness. And, you know, you know what the, the punchline is here, that the practitioners who did mindfulness themselves were able to affect you know, change much better and, you know, teach it to the, to the clients. And I, I'm, I'm suspecting that the same is true for, for this, that, um, you know, I, I could say I've gotten away from my practice, uh, you know, for talking you know, our pandemic, am I, you know, doing as much exercise, I'll admit no. And, you know, my, you know, doing as much, um, you know, work in the laboratory on, on the training of my brain right now, actually no at the moment, but I, I'm, I'm going to suspect, and maybe John can talk about it is, uh. That if doing it yourself may put you in a better perspective to communicating it with clients rather than talking about it from a textbook standpoint, that you you could talk about it from a personal standpoint, I bet it it would make a a better impact. Would you say?
0: Training yourself does the same thing as training clients. It makes you uh, more focused, more able to put two and two together. Your networks are working better, their communication in your brain is working better. retaining memories longer, Uh, your focus is improved. And so you're trying to learn this field. If you don't practice on yourself, you're not gaining the benefit that you have. You have this equipment, this wonderful equipment that does amazing things. Why not use it on yourself to Mm -hmm. enhance your learning process Mm -hmm. so that you can retain the information that you have to retain to do this work most effectively with your clients and you'll feel better. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and you'll
0: and you'll sleep better, That's right. and, you, and you'll have a better relationship with your significant others, yeah. whoever they are.
2: Counselor, heal thyself.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or eat your own dog food. What is that? All
2: right,
1: guys. Do we have anything else for John? What a show! What a treat. John, can you suggest anybody else to come on the show? Mary's giving me a hard time. You want to push her a little bit?
0: I, I will. She's a she's incredibly busy right now. She's just oh. she's got her practice. She's developing the Q class. She's got some other stuff going on. Well, I think you should talk to Tony Hughes.
1: Okay, done.
0: I really do think you should talk to Tony Hughes. He's just an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. Very soft spoken, but just a, just a wonderful guy. I have to say, of of all the people in the world, he reminds me of Fred Rogers.
2: <laughs> That's great. That's great. Hey, you know what I have? You know, I know we're probably trying to close here, but uh, I have the same question I ask everybody who's come through here and, you know, you use the word, the phrase i uh, broken record and, and maybe you're going to, you know, kind of respond, you know, as you've already have, John, but what do we need to do? I mean, obviously, we're having the podcast, we're trying to develop a business, we're trying to, you know, um, you know, gather more clients and, and, you know, grow and get the word out, so to speak. Do you have any ad- advice for us, John? And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, so everyone's kind of trapped with the same dilemma, but do you have any advice for us on, on how to get this out there more?
0: Well, you're doing way more than anybody else is doing. This podcast is a great idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how you make that more. It would be nice if you could just announce it on uh, the ISNR website, for example, or the ISNR listserv. Idea. I can actually announce it on the ISNR listserv. Oh, we'd love that. Oh, uh, wow. I can That's just great. Huge. mention it. Uh, and if you could just give me some contact or link information, I'm sure they would be happy to know that this is out there. And the practitioners, then once they know, they'll tell their clients and their clients will tell their client, their friends and family, uh, it'll explode from there.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, you might talk to Judy at uh, BCIA.
2: Oh, well, good point. Yeah. Uh,
0: and ask her to uh, have a mention of this on their website in some way, because they're happy to have, uh, information out there about educational resources. And that's exactly what this is, is an mm-hmm. educational resource. So mm-hmm. uh, I bet she would be uh, open to that idea.
2: That's a great oh. idea. Yeah. We're Thank thinking you. about talking at ISNR, me and, me and Skip yeah. developing some ideas. So um, yeah, June, yeah. Well, well, it's June, it's going to be online. So that's kind of interesting. Sure. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they might have a format where you could, uh, uh, suggest people listen to your podcasts.
2: Right. right.
1: Who
0: are attending the ISNR conference?
2: Fabulous idea! Yeah.
1: Adding That's- value, John. Adding value, like always. I love it. <laughs> John, how can people go, get a hold of you or sign up for your classes? What's the best way? On-
0: uh, they can okay. look at my website if they want. Uh, it's yeah. the it's uh, Neurofeedback-Institute dot com, and we'll put a link uh,
1: to that in the podcast.
0: Yeah. And there's a, there's a email link. You have to go through a spam filter and do some things. So I know you're a real person, but uh, after that uh, I respond to questions. and uh, So you're
2: officially, you're officially not retired. I have some bad information. I, I was not up to speed. So you're, you're still doing mentoring and you're still. Uh...
0: Yeah. I'm, <laughs>
2: okay. you know,
0: I was thinking I wasn't, but I am apparently.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back.
3: Yeah. I never yeah. left. And it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. You're still working, John. Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> John Anderson, thank you so much. John Anderson oh. from the Minnesota Neurotraining Institute.
0: Thank you for having me on.
1: Thanks, John. Oh.
0: Thank you. Okay. Good to talk okay. to you.
1: Okay, listeners, Dr. Laura can be found at Jansons.com. That's J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com. Dr. Skip can be found at DrSkipRin.com. That's DrSkip, H-R-I-N.com. Idea for a topic or a guest, please email me, Pete, at Neuronoodle.com. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Cue that music.